the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. No thing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. The word of the Lord came to John Bunyan. Wilt thou leave thy sins and go to heaven? Or have thy sins and go to hell? He was converted. He was a totally changed man. He gave up his sin. You cannot have your sin and have Jesus too. John Bunyan published first this work, Pilgrim's Progress, in 1678. He preached from 1628 to 1688 in a local Baptist Reformed church. And then the Church of England came against him because he was not licensed to preach. And for the next 12 years, he suffered intense persecution in very primitive conditions in the Bedford, England jail. This man heard from the Lord. And he suffered persecution because of his righteousness. I want to read for you a portion of this story today because it sets perfectly the framework that we need to have to go back and understand the Beatitudes. I'm going to read to you from Lovick's editorial work. He's done an amazing job that's C.J. Lovick, Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come. He has just published a new Pilgrim's Progress. The words are almost the same, but there are many ad beautiful editions of, of pictures of paintings. I'm reading from this translation, this editorialized version by written permission from the publisher. Bunyan saw two men come tumbling over the wall on the narrow path. On the left side, they immediately came toward Christian. The name of one was Formalist and the name of the other was Hypocrisy. Soon they were walking with Christian on the path. Christian immediately began to engage them in conversation. Christian said, Gentlemen, where did you come from and where are you going? Formality and hypocrisy replied, We were born in the land of vainglory, and we're going to Mount Zion, where we expect we will be received with both praise and honor. Well, why didn't you enter in by the gate? that stands at the beginning of the way. Don't you know that it's written that he who does not come in by the door but climbs up some other way is a thief and a robber? Formalist and hypocrisy answered that to go to the gate in order to enter into the way was considered by them 
and all their countrymen to be too inconvenient and roundabout, especially since they could shorten the journey by simply climbing over the wall as they had done. But won't this be seen as trespassing, Christian asked? Don't you think the Lord of the city for which we are bound must count it a violation of his revealed will? Formalist and hypocrisy told Christian not to worry about it, since it had been the custom of their land for more than a thousand years. But, asked Christian, will your custom stand up in a court of law? They replied, this custom of entering the way by taking a shortcut has been going on as a long-standing practice for more than a thousand years. And it would be ruled as legal practice by any impartial judge. And besides, they added, as long as we get into the way, what does it matter how we get in? If we are in, we are in. You came into the way through the narrow gate. We came tumbling over the wall. Since we are both in, who is to say that your chosen path is better than ours? Christian told them, I walk by the rule of my master. You walk by the rule of your own notion. You are condemned as thieves already by the Lord of the way. Therefore, I doubt you will be found true men at the end of the journey. You came in by yourselves without his direction. You will go out by yourselves without his mercy. Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan. Jesus came teaching, and his first word was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's found in, let me turn quickly to it. It's found in the book of Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mark 1 says the same thing. Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. It was about obedience. Hypocrisy and formalist do not believe by walking in the way, in the narrow path, coming in through the narrow gate. And so they are thieves and robbers. Now we come to the Beatitudes and the beginning of the first great sermon that Jesus gave on that mount of blessing. Let me share with you, in review from yesterday, the opening sentences. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is, the sinner is going to be able to enter into heaven, but first he's going to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. The word poor in the Greek, again to review, means utterly incapable of doing anything of my own for righteousness. I can't earn my salvation. Salvation is a free gift. But be careful now. 
that free gift is not positional. It is real. If we could simply please take the scripture at its word, at its literal meaning, and don't add on meanings that you've been taught by lying preachers. People who have said to you, you are saved when you accept Jesus. He has unconditional love for you. And now you are in a position of salvation even though you are still a sinner. That's a lie. I'm going to show you that again in the teaching of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who weep, who cry, who agonize. They recognize the wrath of God against their sin, and they recognize that something must be done about this sin. They recognize that it must be washed from them. It must be removed from them. And they come with utter humility. They come recognizing their inability to be righteous before God. And they recognize that they have offended the Almighty. If you have never wept over your sin, if you have never grieved over your wickedness, you have not come poor in spirit to Jesus, and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is a necessary requirement. Jesus is giving it to us right at the beginning of his most famous sermon. And we in the Christian church have enjoyed picking and choosing the parts of the Sermon on the Mount that we like, but ignoring the part that we don't like. So Jesus is saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When you come... As a poor, penitent sinner to Jesus, immediately the Holy Spirit will begin to step into your life and you will begin to see a dramatic change. Verse 5, blessed are the, are the meek or blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. Those who have laid down their pride who've laid down their arrogance, who've laid down their demands and their sense of entitlement. They're humble. These will inherit the earth. And then blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's what we covered in yesterday's broadcast. I invite you to go back and listen carefully to this. There is a great rising up in the heart of a man or woman who will finally begin to deal honestly with God about their spiritual condition. And they'll begin to look at how they have offended the Almighty God by their behavior, by their inner thoughts, by their lifestyle, they will begin to weep over their sin. Oh, it's so easy to know, to have all of these facts and all of these doctrines. 
those facts and those doctrines will not save you if you do not humble your heart, if you do not weep over your sin. And then the natural response is to begin to just be starving, hungry for righteousness. Real righteousness. Dikasune, real righteousness. And it says they will be filled. Now what does that mean? If I am filled with righteousness, I am filled and baptized in the Holy Spirit. We learn that later in the scriptures. If they are filled with righteousness, they are righteous. Not positionally righteous, they are actually made righteous. There is no such thing in the scriptures in the New Testament as imputed righteousness. It's a made-up lie so that you can continue walking in your sin and not deal with the reality of who you are. I'm calling you to deal in the words of Jesus with who you actually are in reality. That's the only way you'll ever enter into the kingdom of heaven. They're actually filled with righteousness. Now, I want you to see, because Jesus is going to tell us exactly what that righteousness looks like. It's, it means innocence. Dikasune means innocence, righteousness. But let me show you what it actually meant to Jesus, because he gave us the meaning of righteousness. Listen. Blessed are the merciful. A man or woman who is filled with mercy is filled with righteousness. A righteous man or woman is merciful. It is a part of the righteousness that you are filled with. And the scriptures say you will be shown mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The second part of righteousness is a pure heart. A pure heart, a heart without sin. Not a make-believe heart, not a positional heart. This is a heart that is real. It is washed and purified by the blood of Jesus. It is made clean by the awesome power of Jesus Christ. We find in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, that the blood of bulls and goats could not cleanse and purify from sin, could only cover over the sin, waiting for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on Calvary. But now, because Jesus died on Calvary, the atonement has been made. The blood was taken into the heavenly sanctuary. And now, you can be made righteous. And you can be given a pure heart. And you will see God. Only the pure in heart will be able to see God and not be consumed 
all who do not have a pure heart, but claim that they have received Jesus and accepted him, without a pure heart, have not done the work of coming to Jesus and recognizing their utter depravity and wickedness. They have not wept over their sin. They have not been comforted by the Holy Spirit. They have not been humble before God. They've been arrogant. And they never truly hungered and thirsted after righteousness because they never had time. They were always busy. There was always something else to do. Remember that old song? Take time to be holy. It takes time to work out this relationship with Jesus. And if you don't take the time, if you don't take the time to recognize your utter poverty before God, if you don't take your time to weep and cry over your sin, you will never have a pure heart and you will never be filled with his righteousness. And so the American church today knows nothing of repentance. It knows nothing of a pure heart. In fact, if I say to you, I have a pure heart, and I do, I am looked upon as a heretic, a rebel. I'm scorned by the modern church. I'm kicked out of the church. The bishop doesn't like that word. He refuses to weep over his sin and acknowledge his wickedness. Oh, he'll acknowledge it, but he won't weep over it, and he won't do anything about it, and he won't turn from it. And he says he's saved. What's he saved from? He's not saved from sin. He's saved to a position. It's a false position. Notice, after you're filled with righteousness, then you have the gift of being merciful. And then you have the gift of having a pure heart. And then you become a peacemaker. Those are the three identifying characteristics of righteousness that Jesus is most concerned with. And we're going to discover through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not going to cover it all, I'm going to cover a piece of it. You're going to discover that everything that Jesus teaches will come under the heading of either being merciful, of having a pure heart, or of being a peacemaker. These are the three outstanding characteristics given by Jesus in the initial summation of what his ministry is all about in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. They become family with God. Verse 10, very interesting. Blessed are those who are persecuted 
because of righteousness. Notice, they've been filled with righteousness. And now they are persecuted for righteousness. But what are they persecuted for specifically? They are persecuted, first of all, for being completely merciful. They are persecuted for having a pure heart and saying they have a pure heart. Without sin, walking clean before God, without any known sin in their life. And then third, they're persecuted for being a peacemaker. They're persecuted because of righteousness. And theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Oh, people are going to say every evil thing against you if you are once filled with righteousness and mercy flows from your lips and a pure heart standing up against the wickedness of the day and being a peacemaker instead of a wolf spirit you have a lamb spirit instead of devouring people you heal people instead of cursing people you bless people rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And now Jesus begins to describe the righteous. He begins to describe those who have been filled with righteousness. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. What's he saying? There is a bite in salt. And what is the bite that Jesus is talking about? The context, my brother, my sister. The context is true righteousness, true purity of heart, true mercifulness of spirit, truly being a peacemaker with a, a heart of the lamb and not of the wolf. He's saying, look, if you lose this righteousness, of what good are you? You're just going to be cast out and trampled underfoot. This righteousness that he gives us is the most precious gift he can give us because it is our title under the name of Jesus by his blood to enter into the kingdom of heaven. There is no other way into the kingdom of heaven. There is no other way into salvation but the narrow gate that begins with being in utter poverty and recognizing I do not deserve salvation and I cannot be given salvation until I acknowledge my wickedness before God specifically, one by one. Making restitution, turning from that wickedness, and weeping over my sin. 
This is all necessary if I'm going to enter the narrow path. There is a humility that must characterize my actions. I cannot have a sense of entitlement. I have to walk humbly before God. Could I ask, have you entered into the kingdom of God by this narrow path, or have you come in through formalism or through hypocrisy? Have you really dealt to the bottom of your pride, of your bitterness, of your anger, of your judgments, of your accusations? Are you a peacemaker? Or do you think you're the judge? My brother, my sister, do you understand how how desperate this this need is for the American church, for you, for me, to go through the steps that Jesus outlines for us to go through if we're ever going to truly enter his kingdom and be given the gift of a pure heart. I want to tell you, the pure heart is a gift. It's not by law. It is by the how, the power of the Holy Spirit. It is by being baptized in the Holy Spirit. you entered in? Do you have a pure heart? Do you have the heart of a dove, of a lamb, or do you have the heart of a wolf? Are you a devourer? You will be persecuted if you are a humble servant of Jesus. You will be salty and you will cause great difficulty. Jesus was righteous, and he made the priests of his day bitterly angry with him by his righteousness. He was a righteous man, and so he was a salty man, and they crucified him. They crucified him because he was a righteous man. Do you think you can be righteous and not be persecuted? Oh, I talked to one pastor who said, Come on, pastor. I'm forgiven for my sin. I'm in a position of righteousness with Jesus. He doesn't look at my sin. He looks at his righteousness. I know how to hang with the world, and I know how to hang with Jesus. You've got to be able to do both, he said. Pastor, you've got to do both if you're going to build a church. If I have to do both to build a church, I don't want to build a church. I want men and women who are willing to enter in by this way. I want men and women who are willing to acknowledge their sin, who are willing to come in and weep over their sin. I want men and women who are humble of heart by the power of the blood of Jesus, who hunger and thirst after righteousness and who are filled up and who become salty Christians with bite then he goes on you are the light of the world 
a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Again, light and darkness. Life and death. Salt. Bland. No bite. No righteousness. Now Jesus goes on. Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. That law has to be written on our hearts. That's what righteousness is. The character of God inscribed on our hearts. And it's fulfilled by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in me. He says, I tell you the truth that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. The outward keeping of your rules and your rituals and your church calendar will not save you. I've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, or fool, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. And then come and offer your gift. Everything that Jesus is going to say fits under one of these aspects or characteristics of righteousness. Merciful. Pure in heart. A peacemaker. These are the three primary characteristics and so as we walk through life with these characteristics in our hearts we then gather humility and love from every trial so that as we experience a person coming against us creating difficulty for us, making demands that are totally unreasonable for us. Out of that, we humble our hearts. We don't become a wolf and go after them. Jesus said later, if someone comes and he's suing you and he asks for your, for your tunic, 
give him your cloak as well. That's in Matthew, the fifth chapter. Begin with verse 38. You've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. I've actually done these things. I've actually given up my tunic and my cloak. This is what righteousness is. Out of a humble heart. So we gather humility and we gather love. And that person who is so painfully difficult for us, who insults us, we rejoice. It's a wonderful thing to receive an insult. It does two things. One, it tests our heart and shows us where we're at in this work of righteousness. And secondly, we're assured that Jesus will give us a rich reward on the other side. He will care for us. Now, we could go on in this sermon, and I could show you many more things, but I want to go first to the book of, of John. And I'm going to read this very familiar passage, but don't let familiarity with it block you from listening, because I'm going to draw out of this a very specific lesson. I am the true vine, my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. He's speaking about a Christian, a professed Christian. He's speaking about someone who has entered into the kingdom of God through the church. But that person is all foliage and no fruit of righteousness. They have aborted their Christian life. They may still go to church. They may still sing in the choir. They may still preach in the pulpit, but they have aborted their Christian walk because they can't produce mercy. They can't produce a pure heart. And they are not a peacemaker. Those are the characteristics of righteousness. Those are the fruits of righteousness. They will be cut off. Let me read again. In the 15th chapter. I am the vine. This is verse 5. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
Now remember, he's talking about people who call themselves Christians. People of the way. If you remain in me, and you only can remain in Jesus by being taken into him. All through the old covenant, he was not in them. He was walking beside them. He was not in the disciples. He was walking beside them on that Galilee road. He did not enter into his people until the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, he entered into his people to remain in them. He says, you can bear no fruit unless you remain in me. You can do nothing of yourself. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let's be very clear. Because you call yourself a Christian and follow certain rituals of the Christian faith does not make you a Christian. If a duck walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, acts like a duck, it's a duck. A cat can't pretend to be a duck. You cannot pretend to be a Christian. You can hide out in the Christian church. But if you have not acknowledged before God the wickedness of your heart, if it has not been broken and pierced and you have wept over your sin and repented of that sin, if you have not been hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you cannot be filled with Jesus. When you're filled with righteousness, you are grafted in as you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. There is the Peter package. Remember, we've spoken about that. The Peter package is where you confess your sin and you repent. It's where you are then water baptized because you've made a covenant to give your life entirely to Jesus. And then you show forth that in your life. And you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now you become a fisher of men. You become an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You are filled with, your, with the purity of God. You are given a pure heart. You are made clean. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now, that was very clear from Jesus that you cannot be positionally clean and still be a sinner. That is the teaching of Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, the 6th chapter, verse 17 and 18, Therefore come out from them and be separate, Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
Now, if we go to the book of Romans, I want to show you that this is the teaching of Paul. I could go to many passages. I'm not cherry-picking. This is the teaching of the Word of God. In the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, it's speaking the Apostle Paul about the Jews and what's happened to them. Did God reject his people? By no means. God has not rejected his Jewish people. If they've been broken off, they can still be grafted in. There is still a place of salvation for them. Now, we begin in verse 17. This is Romans 11, verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. That is the teaching of Scripture. This is the teaching of Jesus in both the Sermon on the Mount and again in the 15th chapter of John and again in 1 Corinthians and again in Romans. This is the teaching of Scripture. So what has happened that we have believed the lie today? I mean, it's such a clever lie. Oh, you don't have to repent fully and leave all of your sin. Jesus knows you can't do that. Instead, when you die, you'll be made righteous. You're positionally righteous now. You have a robe from Jesus, and when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He just sees the robe, and he sees Jesus. What a clever lie of the devil. And the modern church has took has taken that hook, line, and sinker. Paul says in the sixth chapter of Romans, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means, and it's in the strongest possible Greek construction. Absolutely no, no. 
we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, a Christian can't continue living in sin. If you are living in sin, you are not a Christian. You can call yourself a Christian. You are not a Christian. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, that is, who were baptized in the Holy Spirit, Pentecost baptism, were baptized into his death, but but were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. I want you to live a new life. If you're struggling with sin today, there's only one answer. And it's a very simple answer. Go back to the Beatitudes and start at the very beginning. If you're hooked in pornography, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're addicted to your cigarettes and cigars and gambling and lifestyle, if you're hooked on the formalities and your heart is still empty, go back to the beginning. Go back to Matthew 5 and hear the word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor. Those who cannot conquer their addiction those who cannot move beyond their sin, their opiates, cannot move beyond the relationship that is ungodly, the adultery, the fornication. He's saying, acknowledge the prison you're in and begin to weep and cry over your sin and recognize that that sin, if it's not broken, will take you to hell. That God's wrath is coming against it in mighty, mighty power. Read Romans 1, 2, and 3. The wrath of God is burning with fire. The only way you can deal with this is to come and weep before God for your condition. And as soon as you begin to weep, weep over your condition, it says you will be comforted. How will you be comforted? The Holy Spirit himself will come by the blood of Jesus and begin to minister total deliverance to your heart and to your life. This work of salvation is completely done by Jesus, but our part is to confess and to repent and to allow Jesus to have his way in your heart. Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I want to thank those of you who've been giving. Again, this morning, a dear sister sent $125 on PayPal. I'm so grateful for those of you who are going to our webpage and contributing. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com or please 
write to me. I also have a special prayer request. Lori needs our prayer. She is a precious Christian sister. She's undergoing some medical problems and treatments. Yesterday had surgery. She needs our prayers. She's precious before the Lord. Would you pray for Lori? Lord, I lift Lori up before your throne right now and ask for your blessing to rest upon her with healing, with the fullness of your righteousness. Lord, thank you. And I pray for each one listening today. Encourage their hearts and call them. Call them to the be happy attitudes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ray Greenley. This is Pilgrim's Progress. I love you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.